Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is a winemaker, armchair philosopher, and self-described tinkerer, Barnaby Tuttle. Barnaby had, Barnaby had an aha moment when he was the general manager and wine buyer at Papa Hayden Restaurant in Portland, Oregon. In 2002, German wine importer, Ewald Mosler, which I said that wrong, but you guys know I'm from Jersey, but I'll say Edward Mosler, brought 14 different Rieslings that he had imported from the middle Moselle for Barnaby to taste. They actually all ended up on the wine list, by the way, guys. They did. Yeah. Uh, he was so blown away that he went home and announced to his wife, Olga, I'm going to need to quit my job so I can learn how to make wines that inspire me like these Rieslings from Germany. In 2008, Barnaby did leave the restaurant to take a job as a cellar rat at a winery in Carlton, which is in the heart of Oregon's wine country. And today, the Teutonic Wine Company makes between four and 6,000 cases a year. The varieties they make include Riesling, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc, Gewürztraminer, and recently, Viognier and Grunewaldliner have been added to the lineup. Welcome, Barnaby. Thank you, MJ. Thank you for being here. This is uh, this is fun. We, I know we did an IG live like back in the middle of uh, lockdown craziness. Um, yeah, and from my from my study. We yeah, were like yes, yes, a continent apart. It was your, your study and my janky office. So we're so just forgive me. Where are we right now? Okay, we're actually in uh, Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. So downtown Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. Yes, yes. So you guys, you know, I've been doing different things this season, right? So. Uh, we we're going to record this in a studio. They're at a Comic-Con convention. Podcast studio shut Amazing. down. My buddy Steven uh, let us uh, use his place because uh, otherwise my dog Truffles, I probably thought Truffles would be barking right now. And it, and uh, and Pam is getting ready to have guests. And anyway, it had been a, so we're here. I'm glad we're here. Um, I'm excited because you are a fascinating, interesting man. Uh, tell everybody about the wine we're drinking this afternoon. What'd you bring here? All right, so this is the Alcy Blanc. Okay. It's kind of where it almost all began. This is the vineyard we planted ourselves. Okay. We really didn't know what we were doing. We had a lot of luck, a lot of friends helped us. 2005, um, Olga and I crawled this vineyard, punched holes with augers, dropped the plants. It's mostly Pinot Noir, but this is from a section that's roughly 50-50 Pinot Blanc mm-hmm. and Pinot Meunier. The Pinot Blanc gets three to four days skin contact to soak. The Pinot Meunier is a red fruit, gets direct press. Then I combine them, put them in a barrel, go ferment, wild yeast, neutral oak. And it's from the only coastal vineyard in Northern Oregon. Okay. So you have a strong maritime influence. This is always picked, this year or the last year it was picked towards the end of October. We picked it as late as mid-November. So slow, long, cold ripening. Alcohol's ten and a half. I know, man. Your wines are... I wouldn't get this, but your wines are so interesting because a lot of people, my listeners know, I'm a Rhone guy, so you know it's hot in the Rhone, so those wines are always 14%. 
mm-hmm. always the whites, you know, and they can go higher. Um, but you get so much extraction of flavor at such low levels. We'll get into that, but I just wanted to say, I just wanted to, and the label's beautiful, so I was wondering, that's a... It's a, see, it's a, it's a weird crowd. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I think wine, like, just like conversation, you know, if we keep it safe, it's boring. Yeah. If we're going to take the trouble to communicate with each other, we should say what we really think, and we should probe our, our colleagues so we can learn from them. And I think, you know, the interaction with food's the same way. You can order the chicken and the Chardonnay, or you can order some freaky looking crab thing like this yeah. and get your fingers dirty. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you want to do? Yeah, you know. Well, not to I wouldn't want to do anything lurid. No, but, 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 but colorful language is good news. <laughs> and I will use vulgar language. I'll say fucking shit. Uh, yeah, it's, it, you, can, you can, you can. It, it, it's encouraged on this podcast. Um, <laughs> it is, I'm sorry. Um, Amazing. It's probably why I haven't sponsored. <laughs> but I'm a do me. Um, let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? Portland, Oregon. You're from Portland, Oregon. Born and raised. Born in the same hospital as my mom, my dad, um... My grandma Lucy was born in Portland. Um, it's so I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm not a pioneer. I don't go back that far, but I'm an odd duck in Portland. Uh, you yeah, no, I, yeah, that's, you don't meet Portlanders very much, right? Because it's one of those places like uh, L.A. Like it's hard to meet people from L.A. Mm-hmm. Like, like New York's different. You meet people from New York, but like the places out west, like hard, you know, like people Seattle, like all those cities, like people left or they got you know when they didn't, but like Portland became such a pop culture phenomenon because of that series. Yeah, which is right for how it is now. But I, I think a big difference for how I define myself and think of myself as a Portlander is, yeah, I may be a little bit more polite, a little bit slower than the East Coast, but I'm not full of shit. You know, if I say, MJ, you know, I meet you at the bar, and I said, let's do something tomorrow, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed to get a phone call and I'll show up because that's the one thing I hate so much is people that smile and they're so interested in you and you never see them again. That's awful. I forgot. I was talking to about... Maybe it was all, yeah, we were talking about this the other night when we had dinner. I was like, you know, you go to a place like L.A. and people are always like looking over your shoulder to see who's more important to be talking to than you, you know? And that's... And there is something about people from like the, the Pacific Northwest and certain pockets of America where like if they say they're going to do it, they show them they're going to do it. Damn straight. Even in New York. I mean, I'm guilty sometimes when I overbook myself and it's just like, you know... And then I'm like stuck. I'm like, oh, we have a lot going on. I don't want to go into the city to drink wine. It's it's tough. You guys say you think it's 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 not easy. You have to muster sometimes. Um, so yeah. So port, tell people about Portland because I know Portlandia. You, you obviously you have some great. You're a distinguished gentleman. Um, so you've probably seen that city evolve. What was it like? Like. Like, you said Portland. You're not from outside of Portland, right? No, in the city. In yeah, the city. Right. So, what was it? Yeah. so, when I was a child, Portland was no longer a logging town. But, you know, the Georgia Pacific Building, which is a, a lumber company, was for a while the tallest building in town. It was a logging economy. Okay. You would see log rafts. There were so long, thousands of logs tied together. They'd be under two bridges at the same time. It was wow. that big. Wow. And so, high school... Yeah, and it wasn't a wealthy town. It was still a blue-collar town. Yeah. We had um, Esco, the foundry, and, you know, my older stepbrothers were iron workers working for FMC, which is now Gunderson. And Friday, you get out of high school, and I'd say, Dad, I'm taking off. I'm going to get on the bus, go to the outskirts of town, hitchhike up the river, 
you know, catch trout, cook. And it was, that's how we were. You know, we were super independent. You know, we'd play all weekend. And you could be in a punk band and go trout fishing and have a vegetable garden. And it wasn't weird. That's right, right. I mean, why do you think Nirvana wore flannels? Yeah, I mean, that's funny that you say that because I, I think about the punk scene on the East Coast. You know, it was leather and it was chains and it was like piercing your own ears and it was CBGBs and it was really grungy. And I'm not saying, but like, but none of those guys were going uh, fishing in the Atlantic. If I would have been in New York, they would have. I would have shown up, and I would have saw the Ramones. I said, okay, I've got some extra waiters. You know, let's meet up tomorrow afternoon. I know it's where you have to get up late because it's a late show. And we, we put the sun down in some nice, tranquil river, drink some, I don't know, like, what, I don't know what, what's it, like Genesee or whatever. Genesee, Cream Ale. Fuck yeah. Mickey's. Be, um, super cool. I don't think you want, there's no trout in the East River. I don't know what river you think you're going to go fishing in around. Oh, we'd have to... Like, <laughs> There is, there is a little bit in Central Park, but, you know, um, I think we're going to go, and you're welcome to come to the uh, Upper Raritan tomorrow. Oh. And try to throw a few bugs okay. if it's not ready. Yeah, yeah. I would love to, but I got, I'm doing this thing, and, uh, you know, you saw Jerry. Well, next time. She, yeah, next time. Well, we're going to come out and visit you, you come out in Oregon. We're going to come out in Oregon, so I can really do some things. Um, so, you said it was a logging town. Was your dad in, like, that industry? What, what, no, what, what did no. your parents do? So, my great-grandma and grandpa taught, great grandfather and Tuttle. My grandpa Tuttle were on the railroad. Okay. And in fact, my, my grandpa Tuttle and my grandma Tuttle graduated a block from where we live today. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, my dad was a television journalist. Okay. He um, worked for the local NBC affiliate. He did some frontline work. Um, it, you know, we, you know we, I think he always kind of wondered about the genes because he was always very like bookworm and I was the guy that somehow learned to work on muscle cars and play music and get in trouble. We don't know where, how I popped into the universe. Um, and my mom met him. She was um, she was uh, in journalism at uh, Oregon State or uh, Portland State College. Um, and my grandmother was Rosie the Riveter. You know, she came out worked in the shipyards during the war. Oh, so she was part of that, like, uh, the woman with the, the yeah, bandana, I, like, America needs you. And honestly, she might have worked in the office. I'm not positive. But I'll tell <laughs> I you, liked what, it. I liked my it. wife sure. knew Grandma Jessie. She'd be, you know, 85 years old, you know, in her leg in a cast, and she'd somehow get a couch up the stairs. I mean, <laughs> that was Grandma Jessie. You go to Grandma Jessie's house, there'd be, like, one egg, a, a jar of capers, but with, like, three capers and a bunch of liquid in it. And, and a couple other things, and she had turned into a dinner. Wow. That was uh, Grandma Jessie. Grandma Jessie. Um, and sounds like you said you had, like, you had some siblings. Yeah, it's, um, I have um, a very protracted family. It's like, um, I've had several step-parents on both sides. So I think I've had like, I don't know, the high teens. But wow. I'm, I'm the only fool. I'm the only fool. Gotcha. And I've got a couple of, um, halves. I should give a, a shout out to Kel and Simony and Joe. Yeah, yeah. nice. Um, your parents were journalists. What was that like? Well, so my, I, my dad was a journalist. Dad, my mom was in journalism. She was in journalism. And then, then she I need to see. We're going to start making distinctions because we're going to talk about natural, biodynamic, organic. But like, what's the difference between being in journalism and being a journalist? So your dad actually was on air. I got. I take it because you said he. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she worked for the, or she wrote for the school paper, The Vanguard. Okay. And I think that she continued to write. My understanding is she was a really good writer. Okay. Um, 
she's listening and I'm talking about her in third person feels strange but yeah um, so my, that's how my, dad, just my dad had a lot of respect for her as a writer yeah. and my dad made, made a living from it and my dad was you know he's not with us and that's you know when we were talking about who I'd share a bottle of wine yeah. with yeah. you know I don't I never knew him as a man yeah and I have no idea what he would what we'd think of each other but I have a feeling he'd be pretty cool I, I think he I um, think he'd, he'd kind of dig you yeah, he went a Peabody, so he did, he was, um, in fact, if you've seen The Wild Wild Country about the Rajneesh no. on Netflix, you'll okay. see a guy that kind of looks like me, especially like a little bit in each episode, but really I think in the third one you'll see him a lot, and I wasn't expecting it, I didn't know, and I'll tell you, it's like, you know, this guy walks back into my life after 30 years, That's right? gotta be yeah, he needs some tissues. Needs That's got to be crazy. Yeah. That's insane. And we didn't expect it. So. I know. Wow. Um... He won a Peabody. That's that, he was. He was a little heavy there, man. Yeah, he got into yeah, it. He's, he's a thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, you talked about punk rock and muscle mm-hmm. cars. Um, what was high school like for you, man? I was a drag. <laughs> I mean, I went. I went to a vocational school. Okay. I was a terrible student. I really wasn't focused. I didn't get do real well. Um, you know, I. Smoke weed. I mean, come on. And Instead of like, it's a probably because there's people that probably thought like I was in, <laughs> like as a school but not smoking weed and hanging out with the bad dudes and stuff for sure. That's that's the truth. But you know, on the weekend I'd be over with Grandma Jessie and you know work in the vegetable garden and it was that was cool too. What type of things did she grow? Everything or I mean the corn. They grew these beans. Are called I think we call them the culinary cranberry beans, but she called them horticultural beans. We grew corn, and it was just like, you know, I, I still, you know, I'm so happy that I have time again to grow my heirloom tomatoes and my peppers. Mm-hmm. And it's just as a kid, I think it's such a good thing, because especially we live in a world now where everything is instant. You want to buy some things, they come the same afternoon from Amazon. You want to be famous, you just do the most outrageous thing you can, put it to TikTok. I know, that's why I'm not famous, because I talk too much, and I don't know how to do <laughs> shit in 15 guy? seconds for TikTok to be cool. But anyway, you're right. Yeah, but, you know, like, sitting there and developing a friendship and, you know, talking to this this great woman mm-hmm. about interesting things, and every time you come back, the plants are a little bigger. And that, you know, like when you're a kid and you go outside every day to see how the seeds come up. I still do that. Like, Olga, like, when I go to the house, I'm always looking, like, what came up? <laughs> and it brings so much satisfaction. And the first time you get to cook with it, after three months, and the shit that takes the longest, the hardest, and the slowest had the greatest value and that's something I'd look to, like to give to the young is just hit a big like what was like like the, the degals the tape to erase everything on the tape and say hey this is cool you look really cool you've got a good style but you know do some slow ass shit that takes a long time I mean this took a long long time yeah Olga and I were crawling through the mud we, I shouldn't throw wire off under the bus too much but it was like unpleasant we're crawling through the mud it was either like like we'd be crawling through ice puddles cracking the ice or it'd be 100 degrees. It was never, it was never like 70, no humidity. What are you talking about? And, and it was awful. Nobody wanted to come with us down there. It was, I liked it, but it was an act of stoicism. We did it, and we did it, and we did it, and we did it, and it seemed like a big money hole, and then suddenly people wanted their pictures taken with you. But it was a long, we rolled a big rock up a big hill. Nice. Um, 
So you said you went to vocational school. So um, what did you do after you graduated high school? Did you did you, did, you, so, did you enroll in university at all, or did you ever go like? I university? did. I took a couple classes. Okay. Um, my, you know, my dad pushed me to do it. Um, I don't learn like normal people. You give me a book and make me take a test, but you you know, but I might be sitting in a room and eavesdropping on people or remember every word. I don't know mm -hmm. what what my thing is. Mm -hmm. But yes, yeah, so I was. I majored in electric to be like to be an electrician. Okay. And I uh, also kind of focused on plastics. Um, I don't know, perhaps people were able to make bombs in those classes, I don't know. Ah, uh, there's, uh, there's a bomb or two made. Yeah. Um, An electric one. <laughs> yeah, um, and then I just I, I just went to work at a restaurant washing dishes. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Was was that was that the uh, one you actually ended up working at? A, it is. A so I actually so you started there from. The and bottom. now I got to say another really great person in my life and dear friend, my stepmom Evelyn. Okay. And she's just been like I I can't say enough, but um, she was her her husband, her sister and her husband. That was a restaurant, and I was twelve. Oh shit, she's gonna kick my ass. <laughs> and she said, "Oh, it'd be so cool if you could wash dishes," and she said the wrong thing. And I'll tell you, when I want something, I don't back down. And I feel terrible. Like, I probably harassed her so much. <laughs> and she finally caved, and I got to wash dishes that spring break and that summer. And, I mean, it's still one of the coolest summers of my life. Mm. Getting to work with all these college kids, doing a real job. Mm -hmm. You know, what did I do? I bought, bought a system, you know. <laughs> and, you know, I was could spin my records. And, you know, was around amazing people. I learned... Just working with college kids and you're a curious little boy, you're learning so much stuff. Yeah. And it makes you feel so good about yourself. And mm -hmm. I was taking the bus, getting to work, getting home, and, and thank you for hiring a 12-year-old. I mean, that that was like, that's like the 70s, right? Like, you could do shit like that. Like, it was like, oh, you take the bus, you, could, you go to work. You want to work, you go work. And now we don't let our kids do a damn thing. Nope. And how's that working out? Well, you, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We see how that's kind of working out. Um... So you started at twelve, but let me just digress. Um, did your did your mother or father drink wine when you grew up? Did you see? Wine I think on the okay. Table? So I, I think on my mom's side of the family, it would kind of pop up at Thanksgiving okay. or whatever. Mm -hmm. It might have been in a jug, and the cork could get put back in it. Yeah. It, it, and I think this is a is a cultural thing that people that don't grow up with wine think it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. I thought it was bullshit. You see a bunch of guys like on that show Frasier curling their pinkies and some guys say the most clever thing and everybody would agree with them or there'd be some dick in the room that would not agree and, and they they sent me to wine classes later okay. and that kind of rectified that when we were tasting blind and silent yeah. and they're like what the f wait that was real you know it's like oh, right, right. When, they, when they unplugged that thing from the, uh, the matrix the neck yeah. you know, oh fuck this is a real thing and we discovered terror but I, I think that you, you know and then to say, oh yeah, it tastes like where it's grown, and all these things, there's all these crazy words, and, and and back in the 70s, it was cheap, but it was still expensive. I mean, yeah, you could have probably bought a first growth Bordeaux back then for 30 bucks. Yeah. I mean, we, we had a time machine, we'd be the richest dudes in the I world. know, like, and, forget, like, for, you know. You could buy a $10,000 bottle of wine back then for $30. Yeah, forget, forget the, the, remember Back to the Future, maybe was going to do the sports betting, like, mm -hmm. man. I'd buy all the BRC and all the first growth Bordeaux. Like, I literally, like, a case of Petrus was like under 200 bucks. In yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And how much is it now, do you think? Uh, a case? OWC? Depending on, I mean, ludicrous. I mean, depending on vintage, you know, 50, 60,000 or more, probably. Yeah. DRC is over, over six figures a case. Yeah, and you know, honestly, there's, I hate to break it to those guys. You know, if you're a billionaire, I'll tell you what, if I was a billionaire, I'd still drink that wine, I'd be like paying for people to go to college and stuff. There is not that much happiness. There is not $6,000 worth of happiness in a bottle of wine. But you know, there's, there's $6,000 in happiness maybe in going out to dinner with a good friend and having a bottle of yeah. wine. But one bottle of wine, is it going to... Yeah, yeah. Like, there's probably nothing more pathetic than, like... I think they kind of did that in Sideways, right? We had, what he had, the 61 Cheval Blanc. In the cup, in the the cup yeah, right. I mean, which it was, it was, it was, it was at a fast food restaurant. It was double on time. To like, I think, not nothing better than having a great wine with a burger, right? But also, sure. it was just sad because his particular situation, like he was saving it for a special occasion, mm-hmm. so he broke down. But yeah, like imagine being someone who's like, I have no one to drink this six thousand dollar bottle of DRC with, so I will drink it alone, and I will have my servant come to me and sit with me and talk. Yeah, and I and I won't offer him any because. <laughs> oh my god! Tell me that about up. that. Like some Mister Burns shit, right? Smithers, watch me drink this DRC. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, and I think that like you know, part of the art of living is, you know, we're gonna go up the Raritan tomorrow. Yep. And it's beautiful, and and it's the best place in the world. And people have this idea, oh, only if I will be happy if I can make it to this place. But happiness. Is the, is the wonder you can find in the world around you anytime. Mm. And that's what, you know, and, and even like, this is not an expensive bottle of wine. I mean, maybe it's 40 bucks on the shelf somewhere. Mm. But I mean, why not, you know, chase that inner space, all the mineral, all the fruit. You don't need, I mean, $6,000 in a bottle of wine isn't going to make you happy. No. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I wish I could afford it, but um, it, yeah, then we're going to jet off to Europe. Exactly. Because so, I mean, if I can afford it, then I could do other things right. I really want to do in my life, right? Um, so, you did you work every summer at that restaurant? No. From the time you were 12 or not? No. Okay. I did some summers there. And then actually, um, I think I was a sophomore. I got a call from this guy we met a couple nights ago. Uh, shout out to Doug Griffin. said, hey... You should come down to Jazz de Opus. They need a dishwasher. And that was a hip, hip place. They they got so busy, they quit doing jazz. But they had had jazz bands. Like, everybody, maybe not Miles Davis, but people, just so many blue Who played artists, with him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, came through those doors. And it was, it was crazy. It was like being, like, young Dirk Diggler. There were, like, teams of hot waitresses. There was a lot of drugs going around that I didn't do, and it was just a hip place. And I was, I'd work till two thirty in the morning to figure out how to get myself home, and it was cool. But it was definitely um, a little bit more um, like that than Papa Hyde. There was less trouble at Papa Hyde. Yeah. But it was cool to be out on my own in a different place. And then I came back to Papa Hyde back and forth. Okay. And. Like, what was your first job? You said you, you did Votech, vocational education. Um, did you use that electric uh, background that you had? I, I think the shop classes I took at Vincent certainly came into play. But my first real vocational job was an iron worker. Okay. And that entailed, you know, using overhead cranes, um, 
forklifts, lots of grinders, lots of cutoff wheels, you know, plas arc, plasma cutter, torches. And I learned a lot about humanity. A lot of skills I learned in that job really still facilitate logistics, material handling. And we were, probably the biggest project we had is we had contracts with Caltran. We did the Golden Gate Bridge um, seismic upgrade. I've actually driven my 65 Barracuda across the bridge, climbed down under the bridge and saw parts that I had stamped that I'd worked on. And it wasn't just me, it was like a team of people putting these box rooms together. All right, there's so much there. So first of all, that you have a Barracuda or even had one. That's 65. That's that's dope. Um, and then, so what did you pull aside a road and like, did you spelunk down? <laughs> you no, I just got a bank scramble. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was cool. So so yeah, I did that. And um, it, it, was, it, was, it was really great. Driving the forklift. My first day on the job, it was an overhead crane. Have you ever seen one or used one? No. So you have a pennant. Jersey, no? you, well, you guys go a lot of manufacturing. Yeah, right? I'm from the Jersey Shore. I literally, I'm, I live, the ocean's right there, maybe uh, 600 meters, and I live five miles. I grew up five miles down in Long Beach. Fair enough. So they handed me the pennant and said, and they, they the so pennant? this is all ironworks. The thing that has the up, down, oh, yeah, yeah, that, 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 and then it crossed. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and they, they handed me the pennant and they said, and they and when they talk in the ironworks is you take that fucking south the like slime bridge the fucking south end <laughs> a fucking bay for like seriously I thought they were joking but like it's like you're not speaking you can't be heard unless you drop the f bomb twice a sentence so I had to wrap chains and choke the sign bridge which is basically a giant L shaped thing okay it's like the thing that holds the signs over the highway okay when you're going underneath them you don't realize they're this thick that weigh ten thousand pounds. It's 50 feet by 20 feet. So I had to calculate where the center of gravity was, pick the thing up. But once you start moving, if you don't compensate, it'll start swinging like a wrecking ball. That was day one. There was no OSHA about it. I just did it. Right. There's, there's no, we had no law. There's no OSHA. I mean, they, 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 they probably would have been a little bit upset about it. But, but, um, so I did that. And then, um, and then... The really cool place, and there's another people I want to give a real shout out to are the Yules family. Wildcat Auto Wrecking. If I didn't work there, I wouldn't know my wife. And they sell parts to all these cool 60s cars. Anybody that has a 60s, 70s Dodge Chrysler Plymouth, these are the best people. So really, it's out in the Mountain Forest. And I go around pulling parts off these cars and, you know, learning from just absolutely some of the great car historians and so forth. One day a team of girls came in, and they were dressed to the nines. They were slick. They looked like right out of like a like a Brian Jonestown massacre video or Danny Warhols. And I got to hang out with these girls. These girls are on fire. And it wasn't like that, dude. It wasn't like that. I mean, they were on fire. They were, like the, the, but but it wasn't like that. And so I got to be friends with them. And that gal introduced me to my wife. Oh, okay. So so so. Yeah. Yes, she was. Uh... So you're part of the, always part of the cool. Yeah, girls. these these chicks were like thrift shop ninjas. Yeah, like yeah. record cover kind of nice shop. Nice, know? I love that. Um, that's so funny. Um, and you're like, I mean, you're working like seriously with your hands. Were you? Did you remember when we were kids? Like, I had a Tonka truck that like was metal and it was rusted, and you could cut yourself on. Remember, right. like, we had real toys. They were like made of metal. Trains. Yep. 
I think it's better. I, I was a Lionel guy. My cousin was Tycho. Oh my god! I mean, I, I want a train. I love trains. Yeah. And I also had, uh, since we're going out to memory lane, uh, AFX race cars. Slot cars. Yeah, slot cars. And it was AFX. And it was Tycho. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I was AFX with the slot cars. And, but um, and I just think about that. It was like. It was just so different. And you could take them apart. You could take the bodies off yeah. and, st- and the yeah. magnets yeah. and all and that. You could, um, yeah, exactly. I, that was my thing. I used to break everything for the magnets. It was my sister's stuff. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like the spinning thing, like, you know, and all her barbie stuff. So my favorite thing, like, it was a hammer. Because <laughs> my, my grandfather was a mason and my father did that stuff. So, like, literally, they would sometimes, they, he'd give me a board and I'd put nails in it. Um, I think about this so much. I just brought this back because... People don't know that I, I used to be good with my hands. Um, I used to like to paint, so let me paint with water. Like, we used to use our imagination. They'd give me a paintbrush and water, and I would paint wood with water. Well, there were three TV stations. Yeah, I know. Oh, there's OPBS. And TV, and TV, TV went off. It oh. ended. Fuck CNN. CNN fucked the world up, man. Oh, I gotta, can we turn it on quickly? I've always got to catch up. With yeah, I know. <laughs> um... Wow. The answer, when you ever notice when you watch this crap, the answer is always 12 minutes out. But it's like the event horizon. Oh my God, totally. You never is. get there. You never yeah, get there. Yeah. Just and, another 12 minutes. I'm going to find that shit. It's so stupid. Yeah. First it was a ticker. So now you have the ticker. And then you have, now you have the shit on the side. Right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sometimes you have three screens. You got the big screen. You got your phone. You have your laptop. Or they've got, the Matrix has us. Um... They don't have Barnaby and Oval Total. They don't have Tatek Wine Company, though. All right, so uh, you're doing all this stuff. Um, are you still working at the restaurant part-time at all um, while you're working with heavy machinery and no, car wrecking? No, 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 no. It was, you know, iron work was a mandatory overtime. Mm-hmm. Wildcat wasn't, but it was an hour drive each way. Okay. So it took up it took up a lot of time. Yeah. But I might be, like, had a side hustle. I'd be, you know, fixing up cars in the driveway. You know, it's always... You know, Logan knows about that too. <laughs> so, um, when did you kind of when when did you leave? You know, working in ironworks and stuff like that, and go into the uh, restaurant, uh, the hospitality business. Well, um, I wanted to travel, and I decided I'd wanted to wait tables and be front of house, which I'd never done in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Always, I baked and I've been in the kitchen a bit, and. You know, you know, as an unknown integer, I had no real wine knowledge. And I just kept showing up, bugging the PM manager. I said, I'm going to come here every Wednesday night and drink a beer and talk to the employees and be a dirt clod in the gears until you hire me. That's true. I don't know, I don't know if you know that's how it happened. That's, that's how I got my foot back in the door. And, and so anyway, Larry eventually hired me. And I took it and ran it. There were 13 shifts a week. I tried to work every one. And, you know, I put that cash in my pocket, and I saved up the money, and then went to New Zealand for three months. That's how I got in the door, and then I came back, and I kind of... New Zealand for just to go hang out and just surf? To, just to party, and just... Wow. Why New, New Zealand? Because that, that wasn't a common thing back Because it's far, yeah. and I... That's a good question. And because and it's far, I guess I knew a couple people down there. Um, it's... It's it's all to me a little more exotic than Australia, just because it's it's even smaller, mm-hmm. and you can just drink a lot and be rambunctious and <laughs> enjoy yourself. 
Really? I thought, I mean, I think you could be more rambunctious in Australia than New Zealand. You probably could, but yeah. it's just, a, it's bigger, the cities are bigger. Yeah, no, New Zealand, I have friends, and it's a little New Zealand. I'm really it's hotter in New Zealand, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I did that, and then I got back from New Zealand. Okay. And I think that's when, you know, the manager said, hey, you should take these wine classes. And that was the beginning and the end. That was like, you know, when, the, when that thing gets out of the cocoon and it spreads its wings, mm-hmm. and just, that all started putting these wheels these gears in motion so we have a lot of different uh ways to educate yourself in wine nowadays when you say wine classes what did that look like back when you were doing like what year was this do you remember the year i think it was oh one okay okay so i think that was oh one it was well it was not wine class like you're going to becoming a psalm it was wine class like these beginning classes they would have at a local wine shop okay yeah but they were done well enough that they were blind and silent. We had to take notes. We had the rating system. Mm-hmm. And so we all were sort of on the same you know, plane. And it was super interesting during the reveal. We'd write, read what we wrote and how similar everybody's answers were. Really? People had different preferences. But that was really you know, empirical that, okay, I tasted cherry. The rest of the room tasted cherry. This isn't my imagination. Right, I see that. And then a, a, some... Like the third one, I think it was, they did um, three Pinot Noirs. They were all the same vintage. They were all really in the same area, same winemaker, but just different vineyard sites. Mm-hmm. And they were they had differences. There were a lot of commonalities, well, some differences. And they said, oh, that's this thing called terroir. And that was like, my hook was set. Yeah. Terroir. So um, you're taking classes and you are at the front of the house you're the beverage director or the wine director no no, no I was just a server barely hanging on <laughs> I think I think I was there's a lot of pressure for me to take those classes okay but what I did is I started buying books and reading and then sitting in when the sales reps would bring the wine okay and asking a lot of questions like I kind of do and then going you know going straight to winemakers and meeting winemakers and so within a year I became the wine director and that gave me access to even more winemakers. And it was a very different world that, you know, the whole natural wine thing, today, if you say, oh, do you use lab yeast or do you use wild yeast? There's a good chance they're gonna lie if they don't and say I use wild yeast because it's hip and it's what people want to say. Yeah. But back then, it wasn't really politicized. The word, right. the word natural wine hadn't come up. Right. <laughs> so as people were a lot more transparent about what they did. Right. And I started really quickly discovering that the wines were made in neutral wood with the wild yeast from cooler climates were the wines that I really enjoyed. And mm-hmm. I also enjoy, I mean, I'll still shout with the pop. Come on, I'm going to love it. You know, a good Rioja. I, you know, I just think at the time, there wasn't a lot of choice. Everybody was trying because it was a, the, like the, the, the Robert Parker tornado was still in full effect. And mm-hmm. Everybody's trying to make Pinot Noirs that were almost like Syrahs. You know, oaky. They might have been tampering with the color. And and I was just like, I want to start. It's like a radio station. I want to have the radio station that plays the jazz. Everybody else is playing rock and roll. Mm-hmm. People need alternatives. And I think I was just offering an alternative. Although maybe being my, I'm slightly biased towards liking lighter wines, but I do like bigger wines. And maybe the reason I, I drifted that way is there wasn't a lot of choice. Everything was so extracted in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and becoming the wine director, 
Um, we'll back up. What made you like? What really kind of like hooked you with wine, right? Um, uh, because okay, so you're working, like working in a restaurant. You like the whole pirate thing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and and you did taste some wines, but like even before we talked about in your bio and in the intro about your aha moment. But what actually said, you know what, I'm I'm gonna take those classes. I'm going to um, I'm going to talk to winemakers. Like what 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 kind of like sparked that interest for you? Do you remember? Uh, well. I'm probably addicted to curiosity mm-hmm. and this idea of terroir it's a food that tastes like where it's grown and, and as I explored it it's also armchair travel that we can without leaving this room we can immerse ourselves in Italy in a way we can with right. nothing else right. and you know I've always been curious about people and you can read you can listen to music but eating the people's food and we can we can make spaghetti but we're not going to have spaghetti tonight made in Italy. Right. But we can have wine tonight made in Italy mm-hmm. by some of the best winemakers and artists of our times. Mm-hmm. So there was that and the curiosity of how it's made. And then the evil Mosler thing happened. Okay. Um, before you tell me, so you mentioned Italy. And you did say you like lower alcohol wines. What, what, was, what kind of food was served at the restaurant? That's what I was curious. Was it like American? So... Uh, mm, I would say it's modeled after a European bistro. Okay. It's known for having really amazing desserts. It's, it's at this point, an institution, and it's evolved. When I, when I was working there early on, when I was 12, there was a chalkboard. The owners worked all the positions, and Reed students would line up around the block. It was a super huge Reed college. Okay. And today, it's probably the Reed professors are going there. More, more than the students, but you get a lot of young people. And the food's just evolved eclectically. Okay. And it's, you know, you, they have like, you know, a croque monsieur sandwich. They'll have a pasta, a seafood dish. And it, it's, I think it's maybe globally mm-hmm. influenced. Then there's two of those, one in Northwest, there's one in Selwood. Mm-hmm. The Selwood one, it's, a, it's just a really cool neighborhood bistro. And, it's, and when I go there, it's emotional. Every time I go mm-hmm. there. It's like coming home. We have people from out of town. We got to go to Papa Hyden. I was I was working there when John Lennon was shot. That's how deep my wow. roots in this place are. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Um. So, let's talk about two thousand and two. Um, because at this point, you said you used to sit in with the sales reps would come, but now they're coming to see you. They're coming mm-hmm. to see Barnaby Tuttle. Um, talk to me. What what was what was it like? It was what well, was my job. It was cool. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. It you know ever growing experience, discovering all kinds of diverse varieties, regions, winemaking techniques. I, I was important for me to have be synergistic with the kitchen. Okay. So I, I really I, I think that that's still a thing that I think is broken in restaurants is a divide between the front of the house and the back of the house. Right. So if I could get the chef to sit down with me and taste the wines, I would. And I'd just say to the chef, okay, what do you want to do? Um, maybe like we'll be running the specials for a month. I'd say, okay, do you want to focus on a region? Because we could do, you know, Piedmont. Mm-hmm. And we could have a white, and we could do, like, sometimes we, I would actually be able to finesse, like, a 
Barbaresco or Barolo by the glass. Okay. Um, so we do real regionally fixed and try and, you know, menus. And that, and that was, it was cool. And it's theater, you know, we're really in the entertainment industry. We're trying to satisfy people. And it's, is the food good? Is the wine good? But you can take it to the next level. Like, mm-hmm. What is a principle? What is a, there, is there more than just a little thought behind it? So that, that was, that was cool. Very nice. So he comes in and he brings 14 wines and you put off 14, or they put, put 14 wines on the, on the list. 14 well, German. Not all by the glass, though. So. Okay, but still, that's, I mean... I mean, it was the, just... There was a universe in his two wine bags. Yeah. People say, oh, Riesling. Okay. Riesling is the ultimate chameleon grape. It's my favorite grape. Bone dry. Like, battery dry. People say, I won't drink Riesling because it's sweet. I know. I can I, hand I, I, that person a Riesling that will make their teeth drop. I know. I know. Or the most expensive, most decadent, Trockenbrown Auslese. You have Zecht. And Riesling, is Riesling the best aging grape in the world? I don't know, but it might be. It, it might be, and, you know, Randall Graham once said that. He's like, he said, Riesling is a noble grape variety. We should probably replace Chardonnay. He was famous for saying that. And like you said, like working retail, that's what I was like, oh, Riesling, oh, it's too sweet, you know. Um, I hate it. And the thing is, people don't understand. They'll smell the fruitiness. Right. And the terpenes. Right. Which, that's another conversation. Um, terps. But, um, but it smells like fruit, and so you assume it's sweet. Just because something has texture or fruity aroma, it's still, you know, I can send it to the laboratory, and the lab doesn't lie. And it says, okay, guys, this has got five grams. It's dry. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, one of the really cool wines, I think the shocking wines that was in that bag, was a 1979 Riesling, I believe it was... Um, is it an Erdner Treption or was it Erd- Erdziger Verdsgarten? Spätlese, 1979. And this was in 2002. Mm-hmm. So that was still good bottle age. Mm-hmm. And that was like drinking like the world's sexiest suntan lotion, <laughs> grandma's attic and weird leather and cedary, all kinds of fruit and mineral. That was, and I love pouring that for the customers because, you know, it's, you know, giving something, somebody something so unexpected yeah nobody thinks these, these wines can age right and when it ages and turns out that well yeah yeah um wow 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 a 1979er german wine's amazing okay so did you actually i mean it's on your website so i'm assuming but you went home and told olga babe i'm not gonna have to my she job. scares the shit out of her because I, I, I do things like that all the time. <laughs> Usually I don't say I'm going to quit. But I told you later on we're going to drink some beer. I'm going to tell you about my new plan. Okay. And I, <laughs> I think you might be the right man for it too. I'm, I'm always up for something. I'm up for a challenge, man. Yep. It kind of... And then we talk about in 20 years. Remember that one time, Barnaby, you said this? Exactly. And it'll be, you know, like, yeah. with MJ in front of the camera. Well, that's how it happens though, right? Like, that's how things happen. Mm-hmm. Ideas are out in the ether, we pick them up, we speak them, then you start acting on you find someone like, oh, you know what, that's not a crazy idea. I like that idea. So that's how it happened. That's how this podcast happened. Like, See if I do have a podcast. And, and and you're gonna be like episode one twenty something and shit. Safe ideas don't move rivers. No they don't. Um so but you didn't quit right away. Um what you you continue to be the wine director and and and, and you were known 
you got some renown. I mean, maybe not wine, but renowned for your wine list because you put together. Absolutely, it's definitely one of the best Alpine lists. You know, Pan German, mm -hmm. Austrian, Switzerland, Northern Italy, Alsace, and you know, we just continue to evolve from there. I continue to learn. I planted a vineyard at my house in the city, small city lot. To this day, there's 70 vines there. And I need to get you a bottle because we actually commercially wow. used it at once. It's a, it's a, it's a, I think it's called the Cuvée 97212. Oh my God. Because that's our zip code. <laughs> I love that. You're like a pioneer of this like whole, I mean, Portland's known urban farming, but like, dude, you actually have vines that you can make wine from. You know how soothing it is? To go outside and prune and kind of just meditate and walk through your home vineyard. I don't. I don't. And I everybody that walks prune. by is going to ask you, what? Yeah. You know, what's up? What's going on? What are you doing? What are, what are, are, you, what, are those grapes? Can you make wine out of those? And it's funny, too, because people don't have any concept. And there's been people, remember, 70 vines. Yeah. Last year, I made over 6,000 cases. There's people that somehow thought that was all from my yard. Nice. Um, that's, a, that's, that's a new definition of cornucopia. <laughs> So, um, when was the first time you, you made a wine, though? That was probably say, yeah. 01 or, or maybe 02. It was really? A, it was a kit. Okay. And, and With then, like a carboy? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, concentrate. Okay. And, and then I started going to U-Pick Vineyards. Most of the U-Pick Vineyards, there's a reason they're U-Pick, because wine producers wouldn't buy fruit without much rot and not much chaos. And we did that a few times, <laughs> and it was good, but I, I went basically straight from working with kids to making my wine. So I did that for years and years and years until I mean, until late. So, so, you, so you started making wine, um, uh, like you said, so you, so, and like how much were you producing? Just enough to drink, to hand out to friends yeah, initially? Yeah, and make cool labels and... You know, it's funny, too, because, I, I mean, the word natty or natural wine didn't exist. Yeah. And I think, really, I want to start calling it traditional wine. Thank you. That's why I'm, that's why I'm, because people, like, for me, natural wine, I tell you, it doesn't mean anything anymore. I, and, and it's become such a cult. Mm -hmm. Like, people go crazy, because I like making fun of natural wine, because, like, your, I like your wines. Your wines are traditional. They're great wines. I, I've never had... I might have, but I've never had a flawed wine from you. There's still winemaking going on here, in my opinion. It's not just, with those in the corner, I stopped it with my dirty feet, and, and it's cloudy, and, and it's natural. And then defending it. Well, where's the terroir? Where, I mean, I'm, I'm, right. I'm going to be provocative. Where's the terroir? That, you know, if you want to make a, a natty, like volatile, reduced wine, why don't you just work with the most mega ag wine from the Central Valley of California and fuck it up in the cellar? Right. Where's the terroir? Right. And... Yes, I like a little bit of funk. Yeah. It can be appropriate. There's nothing wrong with that. But but if 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 for wine to be good, it has to taste bad. That's a wine in a Kurt Vonnegut novel. Yeah, I, I don't mean, get that. Like it makes me crazy. And you know, do you know uh, Patrick Capiello? He was a psalm uh -huh. in New York, and now he's Monte Rio. And and he was a psalm who was putting you know traditional, more traditional wines on the list. You know, at the high plate. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, I had no idea of the, the natural wine mafia until I started making wine. He said, I try and make the wine with the most least intervention and as naturally as possible, but like some people are like, no, if you did that, it's not natural. Yeah, I'm gonna say some dirty. Yeah, I, it's gotta be dirty. Fuck these the running bottles. The bottle's gotta explode. Like, who's, who's, 
Who, who, like, who betrothed with the sacred wand that you're the high priestess of this Renicop society? Right. You know what? And, and, and I'm being a little bit provocative. Sure. I want people to have the, the freedom to make whatever they and want to And I want to drink whatever they want to drink, and too. enjoy it. Absolutely. You enjoy that. It's fine. But, you know, when something is really stinky, you know, that's great if it makes you happy. But it's, it's when people want to become fascist, and it's, like, only good if it's stinky. Right. And, and marginalizing. And I have friends that do use lab yeast. And at the end of the day, if it tastes good... It's good. If you want to talk about ethics and all that, that's a different conversation. Absolutely. But if something tastes wonderful, right. you know, I'm not going to only hang out with one kind of person. Right. I want to be meet all kinds of people because I want to be challenged. And I want to be able to disagree with people. And I want people to disagree with me. We need to do more of that. We don't yeah. do that anymore. People can't disagree with you anymore. If someone doesn't disagree with me, I'm never going to learn anything. Yeah. You know? But I... I and, and we had your wine, one of your wines the other night. Your 21 Pinot Noir. I was like, oh my God. It was so... It was like a cherry lifesaver, and it was like 12% alcohol, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just, just because for me, like, a grape is a fruit, so I wanted to exhibit some fruit. Now, as it gets older, it's going to change, but I do want it to exhibit some fruit. Like, I don't, and I and I do like a little funk, something, a little funk, and I'm like, oh, what's that? But, yeah. Let's uh, talk about this wine real quick. Yeah, why not? Because this wine, I think, you know, I'm proud of it. You should be. I made my wife crawl on the ground and put these plants in. Um, she slept in a, we were poor, you know, we were staying in a lean-to. You know, what, what does that sound? What does that thing I feel running across my sleeping bag? Well, that's a wrap, babe, you know? Um, wow. But she loves you. I know. Nothing like a, a Jersey girl. girl. Nothing like a Jersey girl. That's right. Tough. But from Staten Island. Staten Island's part of New Jersey, actually. But, you know, this is, this is a funky, rustic wine. Yeah. And we're talking about fruit. Yeah. And fruit's important. And I often don't talk about fruit because... I think the unobtainable part of wine is the terroir. Yes. The fun, there is some funk in this. There's for sure funk in it. But it isn't dominant. But there's perhaps a defect for the West Coast. It's excessive fruit. The fruit is so powerful, right. you can't get the secondary flavors. Sure, sure, sure. Tertiary, biologic, funk. So maybe, perhaps, like if, like if we're, we're in the studio in... We're, we notice the, the mix is kind of weak in the bass. You turn on the treble so people can hear the bass a little bit. Right. And so right. as a winemaker, I like wild yeast, which kind of favors terroir. Mm -hmm. Warmer ferments, neutral oak. If I wanted to make the biggest fruit bomb, I'd use isolated yeast, cold ferments, stainless steel. Right. I, in, in fact, this vineyard is on this, on a, this off of Honey Grove Road. I poured this for the people on the road. And they apologized said, Barnaby, we don't know anything about wine, but we don't like it. And I was like, okay. You know? And they said, because we can taste our well water in it. And I was like, you know, he's like, I nailed it. Like that. Well, I did. Terroir. Because they could taste. In your mind, yeah. You're like, they could it. taste the place. People that, and this is the thing about terroir. Somebody who says, I don't know anything about wine, pinpointed the terroir better than I could. That's so amazing. Um, now... You mentioned making your beautiful wife Olga slog around in mud and rain. Use and hammers, build trellises. And um, when did you guys start doing that? When did you start working on a vineyard? I've read a bunch of movies. Oh five. Oh five. And like it was like it was like it kind of fell out of the sky. Like you were at dinner with friends or something. Well, What's she, the story so behind it? so I was doing. I think it was this Viennese wine dinner, 
where we I think it's yes where we had a guy playing piano okay do you know that um I think it was Mason Williams that song classical gas I don't know it might have been in the movie Rushmore anyway oh that, I do know Rushmore the, that that song yes you know anyway he was a piano player that night and we we're doing this Viennese thing so like you know music of Joseph Haydn and so forth I was dressed like Mozart. I had like frills and the wig on. It's true. And it was such a good dinner. We had that shirt from Seinfeld that uh, Jerry didn't want to wear. <laughs> we made, we made a, a potato salad where we used foie gras fat for the emulsion. Oh. For, it was, this was on fire. It was a perfect evening. Wow. Just everything. And I was in a wig. And, um, and our friend Gisela, dear, dear woman, she goes, Barnaby, how come you don't have a vineyard? You love wine so passionately. I said, we can't afford it. There's just, there's no money. I'm managing a restaurant right. and I'm living in the city, which is getting to be expensive. And she's like, why don't you just plant at my place? Mm. And I said, we can't afford it. And she's like, no, just keep, give me some wine. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, mm. and I started looking at maps because I didn't know where Alcy was. And I said, mm. can you ripen tomatoes? And she said, well, yeah, most years. So I was kind of like, hey, Olga, my wife, and I said, I said, hey, Gisela says we can plant her vineyards, uh, or our grapes at her, at her property, and, and, which is, by the way, two hours from Portland. And Olga's like, okay. And then I called Olga the next day at work because I'd order the grapes and I needed a credit card. And I said, what credit card should I use? And she didn't remember a damn thing. <laughs> because when people are married, they can't hear each other speak. When you, like, that yeah, happens to me, no, too. Yeah, happens to me, too. But anyway, so we bought the grapes and we planted it. And then. It, Where'd you get your grapes from? Lorraine Grapevines, they, I believe they were owned by King Estate. Okay. It doesn't exist anymore. Okay. King Estate was like a big time pioneer out that way, right? Absolutely. Uh, I remember having like, they were Pinot Gris. I mean, Oregon, I think people, yes. people, for me, my recollection of this, everybody, I and mean, fact check it, and you're, I'm be 55 next week. Um, so for me, I remember Oregon Pinot Noir was coming up, but Oregon Pinot Gris had already been established. Like, and like people knew about mm -hmm. Oregon Pinot Gris. It was like the Pinot Gris out of Oregon is, you know, the Pinot Noir was starting to come on, but it was, and why is, because you specifically, you meant, like, it came right from tomatoes. So we're talking cool climate wines. Very cool climate wines. Yeah. Um, just, you kind of fell in love with that taste. And what, well, like, like, that's like, like, you know, your wines are, you know, now German wines are like 14% now because of the climate change, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, climate change probably has helped places like the Middle Mosul to an extent. Mm -hmm. And this vineyard. It would, if, if we would be talking about the climate from 25 years ago, mm -hmm. there probably be vintages where we wouldn't get fruit. Wow. Wow. Um, what's it like? And how does someone who, because there wasn't really, there wasn't YouTube back then, and if there was, it sucked, and nobody used it. How do you, you know, like, now you could Google, you could YouTube, how do I plan a video? There'd be a video of somebody showing you how to do trellises. Like, how did you figure this shit out, man? So there's, Oregon Vineyard Supply has a book, and I think it's called Viticulture in Oregon. And it had, like, basically blueprints of how to make the trellis. Wow. And then I, I must have gone to vineyards and looked, but the first trellis I built was at my house. I have 
like the vertical shoot positioning with the movable wires. Um, <laughs> I think like at least nine rows. Wow. With the anchor. So I got to use all the equipment and being kind of, you know, from a blue collar background, yep. I knew we had limited time to get this done. In fact, when we planted the vineyard before we built the trellis, and it must have been, I'm trying to remember, it was maybe 06 when we got the trellis proper. I had a team of seven of us, or all the supplies, it was delivered. Those posts, it looked like a, a log cabin mansion collapse. There was a monstrous pile of stuff in the right outside the vineyard. And there was a flu going around. I think Olga might have been either sick or out of town, you know, with work. So I had it myself. And at a Subaru Brat, one of those little tiny oh, yeah, micro those. trucks. So, oh my God, things, things so, are so different. That, 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 that's yep. not even a truck now, is it? Like, that, that's like like, a that's the size of a Mini Cooper, is the size of that, right? But it was perfect. <laughs> it could fit up the rows. So I would, yeah. I would load up all the posts okay. and drive them around. And then I had an auger. And I basically would run the auger until, because I was doing it sun up to sundown as late as I could. And an auger through hard clay, I'd do it till I got bruised so bad I couldn't take the pain oh. or till I threw up. And I just, everything like the eat, I put just a compressed time. I had a pocket full of jerky and I had three cases of water bottles I do everywhere so I'd never be far from a water. And I'd drive that brat and as soon as I couldn't take it anymore, then I would drop the poles in the auger holes, and somehow, somehow I did it in three days, solo. And that was, like, all the farmers in the row, they were like, they they temporarily had respect for the city one. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I've ever worked so hard. Um, this is a great story because, for number one, it's just a great story. Two, I, I love wine. You know, and I love wine for what we're doing now. We're sitting down. We're getting. I'm getting your story. Getting to know you better, and we're sharing this beautiful beverage. There's a conversation about oh, we need more. Like people, like, wine's not actually that sexy as you guys think it is. It's, mm. it, you know, like like the Psalm movies were very good, but they were also misleading, right? There's only so many Michelin star restaurants that need Psalms, and 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 wine is one of those things where it's a small. It's actually a small world. You know, there's only, super small. And and I say that to say like I don't people need to understand how hard it like like I don't know most people are going to be willing to work that hard. Like we're talking about kids and they don't even play like work that hard to like oh I'm gonna, wait wait what like I have winemakers all the time like you you want to find you want to be in the wine business just work one harvest just yeah. work, work one harvest. By the way, I want somebody for harvest. So if anybody out there in TV land hears this and they they want a free place to stay and they want to work hard. Eat some cool food, make some cool wine, talk about music, and just basically be like this yeah. all the time, except for we're working all Right, except you're working your ass And there's off. like loud noises and shit. <laughs> um, um, and what was, what was, what did you plant to this vineyard? Um, mostly Pinot Noir. Okay. Um, Dijon clones with the exception of one Loire. So 114, 115, then Loire 375, which is an upright clone, okay. like Sansa Rouge. Mm -hmm. Uh, then six six seven and triple seven, mm -hmm. and then I planted two clones of Pinot Meunier, and one clone of Pinot. Meunier. I mean, sorry, two clones of Pinot Blanc, and one clone Pinot Meunier. Okay, and that's the Pinot Meunier, Pinot Blanc are in the spot. Yeah, um, and why I love Pinot Meunier 
not enough people make it uh, standalone. Um, why? What? Had you had it before from like well, a different region? Or? Everybody's had it without realizing it. So red fruit can make white wine. Mm -hmm. And champagne, Pinot Meunier is by far the most planted grape in champagne. Yep. So if you're drinking your champagne, you've inevitably had, even if it's clear Pinot Meunier, but one of the secret histories of wine, and the secret histories are sometimes the most interesting, Pinot Meunier is one of the most common or important red wines. Historically, it's diminished now a little bit, yeah. but it's called Schwartz Riesling. Um, so it was my chance to make a Schwartz Riesling. Got it. And I also wanted to be a pioneer. I, I, we could play it safe and put Pinot Noir in the ground, which we knew was going to do well. Right. I mean, in hindsight, this Pinot Blanc kicks ass. Right. The Pinot Blanc in this vineyard, you know, grapes are reproductive devices. Mm -hmm. and, and I will say in, in all like proper English, that Pinot Blanc looks lurid. I mean, it, it is one to have a freak show with some birds. Yeah. Yeah, um, I love that. And so, uh, how long before you, you were able to produce fruit from that actual thing? We got a little bit in a way. A okay. little bit in a way. Okay. And was that the Pinot Noir? Did you, did you have to release a one? Uh, yeah, we did two barrels of Pinot Noir. Okay. Of two acres. And then the Pinot Blanc was not enough, and so it was kind of a home. We I cut it with a Pinot Meunier, and it was mm -hmm. sort of a a rosé wine. Okay. I think we just drank it ourselves, All right. if if I remember correctly. So, oh eight, that's when you said, "I'm out, babe. We're going full bore." I had no choice. I had to get a job in a winery and learn how to how to do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of already learned some bits in Germany, mm -hmm. but I had to do it. So the had you gone? I'm sorry. Had you go to? Had you went? To yeah, Germany? we're like there's like the, the, like the spider web is. I went to Germany for the first time in '07. Okay. With Avol. Okay. And I was going to meet as many winemakers as I could, and I latched on to uh, Harold Yingling from Weingut Ackermann, okay. insulting him, and I just like asked this poor soul so many questions. And I started just like from our time together creating flow charts and, and ideas. And I, um, I came back again in 07. Okay. And we actually, I think Olga picked, but I picked in the vineyards, which is amazing. When you pick here, we have buckets and we put them on the ground, even if it's a little bit of a hill. In the Mosul, you have to knee it because it's the steep. No, the Mosul, it's crazy. Yes, it's crazy. People die. Those, like... You can't even plant like that in the United States. Like it's like so treacherous, and you have this thing on your back, and you're like, right? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that. Yeah, we picked it. We picked it. Oh, that's that, good for you. Yeah. Oh, you're still with him. <laughs> it is, and it's emotional to me, you know, being there, and when we stay there, mm -hmm. you know, oh, Bonnie, don't work in the vineyard. I get up in the morning and I'm like, where are these, where are these motherfuckers go? I'm gonna find them. Because working with my heroes in my vineyards that I love more than any other in the world, it's like getting on stage and, you know, mm. jamming with, with, with Led Zeppelin. Mm. I mean, these are my greats. So of course, I want to work yeah. and learn. And just the smells, everything, the romance. It's just, it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, let's come back. So you're back uh, harvesting here in your vineyard. And uh, you got a couple barrels of Pinot Noir. Um, and so... After that experience in Germany, you're like, okay, um, I've 
gone as far as I can go with my little DIY self-education. No. Actually, okay. So then, where where'd you go to work? Uh, Laurel Ridge Winery in okay. Carlton. Okay, and they're primarily Pinot Noir. Yeah, they did Pinot Noir. They did Chardonnay. They did some warm water, <laughs> warm, warm weather grapes from Eastern Washington. So it was, it was quite diverse. And okay. there were quite a few winemakers under the roof as well as a shared facility. So okay. I got a real wide and diverse background, seeing multiple ways. You know what they used to say? They don't say anymore. They used to say more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. Animal lovers don't like that. I don't like it, actually. But anyway, you saw a lot I'm of I'm never skinned a cat, but I still use the expression. Yeah. People Sorry. are sensitive now, though. Sorry, guys. And I have a cat. Shout out to Howie the Wine Cat. Out of Howie the Wine Cat. Howie the Wine Cat. Cheers. Yeah. Um, let's give a shout out to Woofs, my little um, little water spaniel. Oh yeah, Woofs. He's a, he's got a hell of a style too. I'm sure. <laughs> All right. So, um, and full on, you took a pay cut to do that, correct? And you have a lot oh of, uh, oh yeah. So you guys. <laughs> so Olga's in the studio with us, and I lo- like she's like oh like. They're here now, so obviously survived. But she's like, oh, like she. It was, it was, it was, it was. Um, it's, uh, it's, I want to think of a really good word because you got me on a word, but it was, it was um, visceral. Her reaction to when I said it was visceral, visceral. Yeah, yeah. It's like this is like Sesame Street for adults. I wish we could have like, <laughs> a, like the word could pop up on the screen. I know. Right? Word of the day. Yeah, what is it? Visceral. Um, lurid. <laughs> Nuance, nuance. Um, yeah, what was it? I mean, because that's like you. There's a theme I've heard. Um, you're like, well, why play it safe? That was awesome. We see another reaction to Olga, but um, so like, uh, you guys had the conversation. Um, you were able to enroll her, get her on board, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, tell people about being a seller rat. It's. A jack of all trades. It's a great job. I like it's a great kind of suit a guy like you. I can see. And that. you know, I think my my skills with machines. You know, I was great. Really took to the servicing the bot the bottle filler. Mm-hmm. I was able to work. You know, with the with the different bottle filling companies to learn how to rebuild it, getting blueprints, techniques, spare parts. So I was good at that. It really, really. You think you could drive? No, I'll say that. I'm sure there's a lot of iron workers watching this. You guys, you think you can drive a forklift? <laughs> Working a winery for a week. You know what? I'm taking my barrels through a channel. I have to raise the forks so the barrels can get through the notch in the other barrels. Like, I'm rubbing things because <clears throat> the only way I'm getting through is if I'm rubbing something. So, wow. Yeah, that was, that was great. Um, it's a lot of hours. Especially at this place, we were very long days. And if you made your own wine, you had to make your own wine in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there were often times where I just would have to sleep on the floor. There was at least one <sighs> night where I didn't go to bed. Wow. <clears throat> wow. Um, and so how long did you work there? Uh, a couple of years. Okay. And still making your wine... Mm-hmm. in the middle of the night not sleeping um, when specifically was Tectonic Wine Company born? It evolved we okay. had 2008 but we didn't get into our own facility until 2010 okay so the 2010 was the first vintage on our own okay and then we moved to the urban setting for the 2016 okay so you're actually you guys are, are actually in Portland we're in Portland. Do you guys know Wheeler? Yes, uh, yes. Of course, you would have to know Wheeler. 
Yes. Shout out to Mike Wheeler. Well, you know, this is a crazy thing. <laughs> so this guy... This is my experience right when I was at Acker. He's a legend in New York. He's a fucking legend. He's a legend yeah. of Portland. Yeah. And so I heard this guy was moving out west. And this dude said, oh my God, Wheeler is going to fuck up Portland. It's going to be a <laughs> seismic event. He made this guy sound like a cross between Satan and Don Draper. I'm like, <laughs> what is what is going on here? This Wheeler guy, I'm scared. I, I was afraid like like like... You know, he'd melt the ground or something, and so like Lucifer. Yeah, like in right? in uh, so I started hearing that Wheeler was buying our wines and showing them to people mm. and getting us. And like, you know, we get an order. I was doing self distribution. They say, "Oh, Michael Wheeler, turn us on." And so eventually, we met him. He was the nicest. He's so, I know. He's like the Bill Walton of wine, really. Yeah, Wheeler's you know, so kind of a tall chill. guy. Like I couldn't believe like bracelets. he had like all the fucking big accounts in New York. And, and, and like, I, I don't recall him, like, wearing ties and stuff, I mean, but, like, he was always that chill dude. Like, other dudes coming in from Lauber and all these other places, and they're super corporate guys, mm-hmm. and the co-brand guy, Mike from co-brand, all my reps are come, uh, come back right name. But I was like, really so chill. And then he um, worked with Skernix, and then he fucking blew up Polander, and then he went out west. Yeah. And we're friends. Yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah, Wheeler, I'm coming for you, man. And you are coming on the podcast, buddy. Yep, Wheeler. You know what? When Wheeler. I come out to visit Olga and Barnaby, shout out to Mike Wheeler. But but the crazy thing is, you know, there was no when we decided to get distribution. Mm-hmm. I mean, a great guy, a legend, and he was selling our wine for us for free. Yeah, you see, maybe that was the Don Draper shit. Maybe that was a John. You had the Don Draper like kind of like. Like, like setting the hook. Yeah. Because he did it for free before he did it for... Well, that's New York, right? You know, that's, that's the old drug dealer. Give him a taste for free. Give him a hook. Yep. Like um, or like Don Draper when he was at the commune at the end of my advent. He's like, where they alluded to, that's where he got the Coca-Cola. Oh, I like teach the world to sleep. Yeah. But we I mean, he was a guy who went out west at the right time. Anyway, so you're in your own... So 2010, first facility... 2016, you guys are actually downtown Portland making wine. Yeah, you, you chop the grapes out. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. You know, people come to see us and make an appointment. This maybe is a plug, but I'm not going to tell people it is. We're 15 minutes from the airport. I mean, if you get into Portland, but we do, it's by appointment only. And if you're industry, I would need an appointment. You're here. You guys do. Just, just showing up. Just get in touch with me through Instagram. And maybe I'll get you drunk at my house or my boat. Because then I don't feel like I'm at work. But we'll accommodate. Nice. Nice. Um, so, 2010, what was the production in 2010? It was, 2010, I would say, is about a thousand plus cases. And it was really, really gnarly for a couple reasons. Okay. It was the second coldest vintage in Oregon history. Okay. It was a summer without a summer. Hashtag global weirding. <laughs> I like, I like those people. That. I like the people that oh, it's cold this morning, so climate change isn't happening. It's not political. They could throw. I just look at thermometers. I mean, it was 116. Anyway, that was messed up, and there was a That's lot. That's why of we have to stop calling it global warming. It's climate change. Shit is global weird. weirding. Climate global, global weirding. I love that. I'm adopting. 116 a couple of years ago in Portland, 10 degrees over the highest all-time record. Um, so, but anyway, so it was really a tough vintage. Yeah, I was in Seattle doing sales. In I laid off, it wasn't Halloween, maybe it was like October 28th. I hadn't picked a single berry. 
Shit. It felt like, you know, it felt like it was like finals. We hadn't been to school all year, you know, it felt really strange. <laughs> and that was, and it was a lot of work, mostly by myself. But somehow, somehow I hustled. I got through it, and it was good because eleven was the coldest vintage. Mm. Eleven worked because we learned from ten. So I can in ten, you know, you're in the vineyard dropping clusters and winging clusters early and pulling leaves and getting ready for botrytis onset. Wow, wow. And what prompted the move? And so, like a thousand cases, and then did you have? Because you you said something like flow charts you missed that so did you have did you write out your 10-year plan because that's some shit i wouldn't do no not at all and we didn't know what we were doing we okay. just we just do things okay um we outgrew the place really okay and and so and we really talked about it i mean i was somewhat apprehensive to have a business in the city of portland because um portland is exactly the most business friendly place in the world but i just you know, they keep adding people out once. So it keeps growing. They don't add roads. Yeah. And I, you know, I just didn't like commuting an hour and a half each mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. One, you know, one time when I was working at a Laurel Ridge in Carlton, it snowed. It took me six hours to get home. That's my challenge with living in wine country where I can never do it. Because I grew up in New Jersey and it's pretty flat here. We're at sea level. And like, I was out in Walla Walla and they're like, there's times like, yeah, dude, like, like people were coming in from both sides of the cascade. So people come in from, I'm like, they're like, yeah, no, you're not doing that shit. There's only certain times you can do that shit. Like it mm-hmm. gets gnarly, yeah. like, and storms come in and you're in the mountains and I'm like, fuck that. So I like, like, I like that you're 15 minutes from the airport. I like flying to Seattle and then getting the hop over to Walla Walla, to the right Walla Walla. Yeah, you should come see us before you go to Walla Walla. I'm going to, listen, Grenache, to plug Grenache Fest, I told you, we're going to do it. We want to do a day or two with you guys. We'll, we'll make that happen. Cool. Because you, you might be picking it's November. Yeah, depending on when it starts. It might be mellowing out. Yeah. Um, so you got tired of the commute and um, you're downtown. And um, what was the expansion? So take me from 2010, how many different great varieties you're making to like. 2016 and then to today I don't know that we're working with really many more grapes than we were in 2010 okay so you were we're just making a lot and some of the grapes have changed okay we don't make the Chasselas anymore yeah but we make Muscat now so it's you know we weren't making Viognier back then but we are now and it's just pragmatically it was much more it still is a mad scientist situation mm-hmm. but back then I had so many like single barrels here's the barrel of the Alcy Blanc mm-hmm. here's the barrel of the Chasselas here's the barrel of this experiment and you know it's really you can't upscale that and it's when you know now that we rely more on distribution mm-hmm. it's you know I might have 28 barrels of Jazz Odyssey and you know then it's it's just it, we're becoming adults. We're running it. We're still weird, but we're mm-hmm. running a business, mm-hmm. and that was almost. And it's still an experiment, but that was purely like experiment time. Yeah. And as you're making these wines, and we we talked about, um, how do you farm? Do you farm organic? Do you dry farm? What, what what's some of your farming practices that you? Everything do? except for the our California Tanat is dry farm. Okay. That's that's. Paramount, 
I don't like um, breaking the soil. I like to have 100% ground cover mm-hmm. for terroir reasons, for environmental reasons. I've dabbled in biodynamic, but the LC vineyard right now is farmed organically. Mm-hmm. Um, none of our vineyards are certified. Everything is minimal. Mm-hmm. It's all about less is more, mm-hmm. but mostly just using organic is kind of the, the cheapest stuff. He's using, you know, sulfur. Yeah. Sulfur in the vineyard. Yeah. You know, in Rojo. Yeah. And that's one of the things we were talking when I was thinking about how people understand. It, I don't know when the, when the light bulb went off a couple years ago. I was like, I remember being in seventh grade and we are studying the periodic table of the elements. And I got like 103 out of 100. Probably, there's more now. But like, sulfur is a naturally occurring compound, mm-hmm. people. It's natural. It's on the chart. Absolutely. Okay? Um, so... This is always going to be a tough one for you, but like, kind of like, what's what's your um, what is like? Is there a favorite grape you like to make? Like, 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 like you do a lot of fun stuff, and and you're and you're like, you're like a mad scientist, but like, but like I said, I mentioned your your twenty twenty one uh, Pinot Noir, and then also I had to have the twenty twelve, the twenty twelve Meunier. Mm-hmm. Oh, Meunier reason probably. I mean. Until older remind me of something I left up. But Riesling, it's the terroir, the candy mushroom with all the botrytis and the skin contact. And the most exciting thing is you never know how it's going to turn out. You know, I know some winemakers say, oh, blah, 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 blah. No, no, I'll tell you what. You taste the fruit, you taste the juice, surprise. I mean, you pick it absolutely the best time. But if, if I was working at a Coca-Cola factory... And I know whatever this is with me, I'll just do something else. That's boring. I don't know what the what juice is going to taste like. I don't know what the wine is going to taste like. Then again, bottle. I don't know what this is going to be in five years. I want to know. Yeah. But if I knew, I wouldn't be. It wouldn't engage me. It wouldn't entertain me anymore. Yeah. I was talking to a winemaker friend last night. He called me. He's working with an Italian variety to work before, and he's like, he's like, he's like, I fucked it up. And and he was telling his his seller, so he's like, why would you say? He's like, he's like, because I never made it before. But <laughs> he's fine. But like, but like, he's like, I never made it before. So I'm like, and he didn't really fuck it up. And that is what is fuck it up. But like, it's like it surprised him. Exactly. So surprised exactly. him. Five years. Exactly. So I, I love that. But that just to have that that mindset, right? Like um, of uh, working what what you have each year, and you don't know what it's going to be. And, and that's the freedom we have. That we could say we have Pinot Noir. It might become white wine, it could become Blanc Gris, it could become Rosé, it could be sparkling, or it could be red, it could be in a fill blend. It's ultimately what nature gives you, you make the best with what you have. But you also have to make a product that inspires you to be creative. If you can't keep yourself engaged and fascinated in your romance with the relation of winemaking, then you're also failing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Let's talk labels, man, because you have amazing labels. And, you know, um, I think one of the first wines I had of yours was the Pinot Gris. And what, what is that like? A, what's all that? Is that a pheasant? A is pheasant. That? Yeah, that's a pheasant on it. Yeah. It's a food pairing. Yeah. I had that wine actually with like some spicy Asian food. And it was like, mm. oh. And I was in Arkansas. You know what? So far, I was in Arkansas. And Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas. And, uh, went into this little wine store and for the red and this is this is what I love about wine the red was from Paso Robles 
I had never had the wine. It was a wine called uh, Tooth and Nail, and mm. now I'm really good friends. Turns out that, that has a whole story between me and that winemaker. We actually lived in Santa Barbara at the same time and actually used to talk to each other in Trader Joe's when we worked there. And then we like reconnected over the pandemic. But it's so right, funny, yeah. right? And then like I bought your wine because I'd heard about it for years and I knew I was having an issue and I was like, I know this is good for that. For some reason, I was like, I've heard so much about this wine and it's going to be a perfect pairing. And now I'm sitting here with you and that's what I love about I'm sitting here with you yeah so we're sitting here and we're sitting you know what you know what Mr. Hand since you're here and I'm here it's kind of like both our time so it is yeah we're all here right and so um, but the labels where, where where does the in addition to the mad scientist of, of the blends you're putting together and, and how you're constructing your wines to produce so much flavor and so much complexity at these lower alcohol levels the labels, man. Like this one has like that's a, a bunch of sea bugs on it. It's culinary, it's gastro, gastronomic. And I, I get it. I mean, like slow food. It, it's that's. I mean, like like dude, this also would have been great at Woo's the other night. It's what it killed. Yeah, it. I was just thinking about that. That was so good, and yeah. that hit the spot. It's kind of an interesting evening. Yeah, it was a great. It we was a, we yeah. needed to blow a little steam. Yeah, we, had, <laughs> we did need to go do some bottles. But you know, I think you know. What is wine? I mean, that's going to be different to everybody. Everybody's going to get a different type of pleasure. But for me, this, you know, this is something that's good with food, mm -hmm. good with friends. And of course, I'm poking people to try a little bit more dangerous or food challenging there, yeah. food. But, I, you know, I love to do seafood boils, mm -hmm. uh, crustacean, my God, lobster, crab, yeah. shrimp, mm -hmm. crawfish. Oh, that kill. I mean, it's also wine is great for people talking to each other, but I think if I had a couple faces talking, I mean, I'll put a picture of MJ and me talking <laughs> to each other, but that'd be super pretentious. Yeah. So, and the other thing is, you know, there's terroir, there's my daydreams of what I want to eat with this. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of these labels come from our uh, design team, mm -hmm. Noisy Cats, who are amazing, mm -hmm. and also Sarah, Lexi, but... This, this also in this package is all the thought behind the wine, all the insanity in our minds, in our drive that compels us to make it. So if you just if you're making wine for the sake of making wine, you're manufacturing a product. That's great. Exactly. But yeah. but a wine that's made for the sake of making wine is like making a book because you want a bunch of paper between a binder. Yeah. This this wine is to me has a soul because I'm insane. And I'm thinking about all sorts of messed up stuff all the time. And I'm channeling that. And all like my craziness, you know, I can't live unless I'm doing things and I'm pushing boundaries. And that's what this is. It's like the sort of the volcano of, of the nuttiness in here erupts and here's the magma. Hope you enjoy it. I totally. You just, I love talking with you, man. Um, because I, you've just sparked something. You said, I'm insane, right? And so... Did you ever think about this? And I, I'm going to digress here, guys. But when when someone is not conforming or or has mental illness, we say they're insane. Mm -hmm. I sure don't think I'm insane. I don't, I don't think, think I'm are, insane. But, I think everybody else is insane. But, but don't you think? Don't you think they should be outsane? Should they be outside of their sanity? Like if you're inside of sanity, you would be outsane. Better. Yeah, I think you'd be outsane. Yeah. Things you talk about with Barnaby Tom. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I, I think it's it's good and you know and you know there's there's a lot of mental health stuff in the world, but I yeah. think that you know 
one of the things people don't talk about is when people are down or depressed, mm. you know, what is that manif- what's, what's the manifestation? You know, maybe it's just because, you know, people are a lot of times afraid to live the lives they want to live. They're afraid of criticism, yeah. social pressures to conform. And when you do what you want to do, and I, I dabble in so much crap in my life, this is the one thing I never compromised. Mm-hmm. It's the one time somehow I kicked a door open and I kept it open and I didn't back down and I didn't make shortcuts. You know, I had a recording studio, I've done all these other things, but I stuck to it. And that's my that's my medicine. Love it. So just a couple more things before we wrap up here, Barnaby. Um, um, <clears throat> I love this game. Uh, shout out again to Brooke Sowell. Uh, that uh, who gave me this idea um, to start doing this because it is fun and it offends some people because I curse but fuck marry kill three grapes you get to fuck one you to, you're marrying one and you have to you can't have oh my one. gosh <laughs> oh wait and I can I can do the grapes no you don't get to pick them that's oh. that's where it gets good that's why it gets good all right so Riesling oh and Pinot Gris oh okay okay okay, okay. Or Pinot Meunier, which one are you fucking, which one are you marrying, which one are you killing off? Um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to marry Riesling, I'm going to, beg your pardon, but I'm going to um, fuck uh-huh. Meunier, and I'm going to kill the Green. Only because I had no choice. Right, and I mean, like, that's <laughs> the best, that's like, like, rapid fire, that's my best answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, good, uh, thank you, because you could have like... I'm you know, there's like, actually people that do... Um, Marry the person that I fuck. I've heard of this. It's no, not, yes. Yeah. 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 No, it's very establishment. It is. Um, Barnaby, what are you most excited about for the future? We're going to talk about it over beer. Oh, no, but this is for the, for the podcast. Oh, for, for the, the people, the, yeah. For the people, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for the, for the, well, you know, so I'm, for I'm, the future I'm, of Oregon I'm wine. I'm, we're so for wine, yes. wine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, we got a sparkling project we're working on. Okay. Super cool, super cool. Crazy, good sparkling. Uh, St. Innocent I had out of Oregon. St. Innocent. And yes. You should fuck around and make some Chardonnay because the Chardonnays right now out of Oregon, these, these 12% things are so chablis. They're so white Burgundian. Pretty sick. Yeah, we got a Chardonnay project. It's okay. 50-50. It's 50 um, Chard, 50 Pinot Noir, Von Gris, called Cutthroat. Okay. It's like a real lean kind of seafood mm-hmm, wine. Mm-hmm. It's been doing real well. Um, some of the proceeds go to support uh, wild fish habitat. Mm-hmm. So that's cool too. Um, so yeah, the sparkling program continuing to evolve as a winemaker, seeing how my wines age because I've only been doing this for since two thousand eight. That's crazy. And old wines. Wow. Oh, we poured them up at the um, Flexcursion. Mm-hmm. And a shout out to everybody that put that together, Kelby. We um, we did a um, from the re- the panel. Olga ships some of our 2012 Rieslings, and I think they did all right. Nice. And against much younger ones. Nice. Yeah. Very, very nice. Barney, well, thank you so much for, um, like, I heard you were coming out. I pinged you guys on IG. We got this to happen. We, we, we had dinner the other night, and it, and it worked out. It, we had dinner the other night. That's what we're going to say about that. We did. We had dinner. Tell people how they can uh, find you, how they can be a part of what you and Olga are doing at Teutonic Wine Company. Well, just reach out. 
I'm Barnaby Tuttle on Instagram, Teutonics out there. We have a website. Come see us in Portland. And, you know, a lot, we're in a lot of states. But the best way to get us in your state or in your local shop is if you say, I need Teutonic wine. You and go. they'll get it. And you'll be um, helping us write our book. Awesome. And to all listeners out there, make sure you check out the show notes. Um, that's where I'll put uh, links to their website, their, uh, their social handles. Uh, I'll list the wine we drink. And until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep thinkers, and all the wine drinkers. It's your boy MJ saying peace. Peace. Thank you, MJ. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.